this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast earlier this month the rbi's monetary policy committee raised the benchmark interest rate by another 50 basis points in its ongoing efforts to rein in inflation that has persistently stayed above the central bank's upper tolerance band of 6% for 6 months running the interest rate increase takes the policy repo rate to 5.4% and most significantly to a level last seen in the pre-pandemic second quarter of fiscal 2019-20 to help with perspectives on the trajectory of interest rate moves going forward and how it should tangle in consonance with other macroeconomic indicators we have with us today abhik barua chief economist at hdfc bank uh, mr barua really appreciate the time you've taken to be with us today thank you so much sure so uh, you know let's straight away get to the topic of the conversation the rbi rate increase uh, that happened yes. earlier this month i'm sure this was expected all around but the quantum was it on expected lines as far as you are concerned and what do you see going forward would be the rate trajectory well i think the the range of estimates was from 35 basis points to 50 basis points not too much of a difference there was a group of uh, forecasters who were kind of thinking that the rbi given the fact that uh, the last inflation print was a little lower than what the market had expected would kind of soften its stance a little I personally was in the other camp and I thought it was too early especially for a central bank which is facing the prospect of it you know inflation target being busted for three quarters in a row and possibly even longer I I thought it was very much at a par for the course going forward I think there is a, a difference between what the developed market central banks like the US Fed or the Bank of England would would have to do because i think their inflation situation is far more dire our inflation situation is better it seems to be kind of moderating and by the fourth quarter of this fiscal year we should be in zone which is sort of below the tolerance limit which is you know 6% is to remind you so i think the rbi might want to so today they are at 540 so they might want to kind of stop at 6 and they will do perhaps smaller rate hikes going forward so that's my forecast for what the rbi would like to do going forward given that uh, a lot of the sort of underlying macroeconomic conditions are somewhat different and one of the differences of course and different from the developed market central banks because uh, we don't have a severe uh, labor shortage here and that's one of the things that's sort of keeping inflation elevated and keeping the sort of price momentum going in economies like the US or even the UK we don't have that problem and we i think we are below our sort of potential output in the sense that there is still there are pockets of demand shortage overcapacity and so forth from whatever estimates i've seen of the developed markets they are kind of above their potential output so to use kind of you know economic gobbledygook they are uh, they have a positive output gap and we have a negative output gap which sort of gives us comfort in terms of inflation pressure 
Excellent. You talked about comparisons with uh, Western economies. Obviously, there is pressure on developing nations to keep the interest rate differential as close to normal as possible, normal within inverted quotes as it was pre-pandemic. But because of the pressures that they seem to face are not similar to what we face, but we still have to keep up with the Joneses, you know, as the saying goes. Does it also impact the way forward for us in terms of growth? Because if we have to keep the rates high so that capital outflows are not, you know, that significant, and that's important for us. But rising interest rates would also impact growth. So do you think it's a delicate line that the RBI has to maneuver over the next 12 months? I think we should recognize the fact that capital inflows are not just debt-related. And this interest rate differential argument really arises in the context of debt flows. And it's a really very simple argument that if your debt offers higher rates, then you are likely to attract more capital. But for us, if you think about it, you know, equity flows are just as important, if not more important. And equity flows are uh, linked to growth prospects, which ultimately filter down to company earnings. Uh, it also means that you know, we have to kind of strike a balance between growth and inflation and interest rates, even in attracting capital flows. And the textbook model, which says, keep up with the Joneses, if they hike by 50, you also got to hike by 50, that doesn't always hold in the case of emerging markets. And the other thing, which I think is important, if you look at central banks who've tried this tack of using interest rates to keep a lid on their currency and prevent excessive depreciation, the most extreme one being the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, which has been sort of really ramping rates up to prevent the the New Zealand dollar, the, the Kiwi, from depreciating. It hasn't really worked. One of the reasons being that what is driving up the dollar is not just interest rate differentials. It's, it's a lot of other things. And one of the principal things being acute risk aversion. So people are flocking to the dollar because they see so much uncertainty and risk all around. So I don't think that you know you have to keep up with the one Jones at least, which is the Fed, to a certain extent. But I don't think we need to sort of overdo it and necessarily match them one to one. So... And I think if we are guided, as the Reserve Bank claims to be, in our interest rate decision by domestic concerns, and which sort of refers to the growth inflation mix, the kind of trajectory that I described earlier, where they kind of go slow going forward, is is perhaps the best way to do things. And the final point that I'd like to make is that if you see most of the literature or the analysis coming out of central banks on what determines capital flows, we tend to focus a lot on nominal interest rates. But if you see the the formal literature or the sort of the semi-formals, the central bank type of literature, it's always in terms of real rates. With the kind of inflation that the U.S. is seeing, their real rates are actually much lower than us. So if real rates are really the determinant of capital flows, 
we are actually doing better than the U.S. So the U.S. is just a 10-year bond deal. The U.S. is at uh, about 3%, but their inflation, even if I were to take their official inflation indicator, which is the the, the personal consumption deflator, that's 6.5%. So it's negative 3.5%, whereas for us, our inflation is roughly about, uh, it's going to print in the range of 65 to 7% tomorrow, and our 10-year bond deal is about you know seven and a half if I take the extreme case then so so it's seven and a half less six and a half so negative one percent so you can see that we are actually in real terms which most economists take to be the determinant of capital flows better off so I sorry maybe this has got carried away but that was a fairly elaborate answer to yeah that was you know perspective yeah, yeah so yeah, that's I why know. that's why I'm saying that I think the RBIs so I'm, I'm just trying to sort of build a case for the RBI to do whatever it needs to do on the basis of domestic considerations and not think, overthink the currency defense or the keeping up with the Joneses bit. Okay, great. It's you know wonderful that you actually mentioned New Zealand as an example where you know, despite the best efforts, they don't see their currency where they would like to see it. If we have to take away any lessons from there, then you're saying that probably RBI shouldn't worry too much about you know further depreciation because after all, there are external factors, how much we say we are led by domestic concerns. So external factors that impact our exports, imports, and hence current account deficit, which hasn't turned alarming, but you know we need to keep an eye out for that. So if the global economy has, is seeing a risk of slowing down, our exports are probably the first to be affected. And imports haven't shown any sense of or a trend towards slowing because our domestic demand seems to be high at the moment. So given all of these, then if CRE should not go beyond the comfort level of three, three and a half percent that the RBI name, you know, okay to live with, then maybe the RBI should just allow the currency to shade a little more. You wouldn't be too concerned about that. Is that a takeaway? And I'm not even sure that the so the RBI has another tool in its arsenal which it's been using you know, quite aggressively, which is which are the reserves, which it's using to intervene in the currency market, which is basically selling dollars to keep the rupee kind of within a range. The RBI could use more of that. We have enough reserves, and reserves are not to be sort of preserved in a museum and you know shown periodically to uh, external <laughs> rating agencies. I mean, it, 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 it's there to sort of intervene. So they could use a bit of reserves, not worry too much about some amount of depreciation where it to come around. But my claim is that if you, if an emerging market, you know, focuses also on growth and and if if its inflation problem is not that acute or as acute as the developed markets, then growth itself could attract capital, and we are perhaps seeing some amount of that happening already in the equity markets and if uh, to, to go back to the point I was making earlier equity market is a much bigger and I am by equity market I mean a sort of the broad range of you know, portfolio inflows then you have you know private equity and so forth so we need to kind of not let our growth slip below a certain level because that would again hurt capital flows and that would lead to further depreciation so we have it's a difficult it's a tightrope balance 
but we'll have to ensure that the interest rates don't go up that much so as to push growth down so much so that you know the, the growth related assets or the growth related investments suffer and as you mentioned bharat we can't do much about the export situation that's a function really of the global demand conditions and and they are likely to moderate and just keeping on depreciating the rupee and trying to get competitiveness will only help at the margin so we'll have to ensure that domestic although domestic growth is likely to moderate because of the rate rate hike we have to ensure that they don't sort of fall off a cliff and that they are there to maintain a certain comfortable level of growth and i and i believe it's possible to do that with some amount of interest rate hikes and not uh, an aggressive you know rate tightening cycle if i move away a bit from you know the topics we've discussed and look at liquidity which is another tool that the rbi has been using in tandem with rising interest rates just to you know try and suck out liquidity at an optimal level and if i juxtapose that effort versus the figure that you know in the most recently uh, ended fortnight the figures that are most recently available credit growth rate versus uh, deposit growth rate credit growth rate has actually exceeded deposit growth rate and it's touching the 14% level credit growth earlier when you know in order to rein in inflation when the rbi started increasing interest rates some economists seem to be of the view that just raising interest rates will not rein in inflation because there are so many other factors that influence inflation but you know if the credit growth had been at a very healthy 19-20% then it makes sense to you know make sure that liquidity is out you raise interest rates and so on so are we beginning a journey towards that healthy rate of growth for credit or do you see any patterns there you know perhaps we are there are elements involved in determining credit growth like inflation for instance so if there is high inflation your value of your inventories be it raw materials or your finished goods tends to go up so you need to borrow a little more in order uh, to finance that so your working capital needs go up so that it's really a function of inflation and you know there are other things also for instance as liquidity tightens as it has been money market rates tend to move up very quickly and so a lot of the fundraising that companies were doing was earlier through directly from the markets to things like commercial paper you know bond issuances for longer term loans and so forth once your market money market rates and of course related rates go up then you see them these companies coming back to the banks so that has also helped credit growth so we must keep this in mind in understanding why it's 14% i'm not saying that none of it is kind of genuine you know growth and activity related pickup but some of it is due to these other factors as well i think we are beginning to see a pickup in uh, credit growth and even if inflation were to moderate this credit growth would sort of retain its momentum perhaps not go up significantly from these levels if we don't see a major you know capex cycle coming through over the next few months but certainly it's you know it's going to be relatively healthy 
And liquidity is getting to be a problem because of the, the, the mismatch between deposit growth and credit growth that you just mentioned. I think the RBI's uh, stance is that we will not, because of inflation concerns, we will not allow liquidity to persist at levels that was seen earlier. If you remember, you had you know, 6 lakh crores, 8 lakh crores and so forth. But we will also ensure that liquidity doesn't go down to a level where banks find it difficult to lend. So I think they are trying to, their aspiration is for a kind of a Goldilocks scenario for liquidity, which in terms of hard numbers would be anywhere between 2 to 3 lakh crores if you look at the LAF balances, which is a typical measure of uh, liquidity that uh, analysts and bankers use. So whenever it kind of goes below this, they will try and inject more liquidity into the system. And whenever it goes above, maybe they will uh, withdraw liquidity. And one of the things we must keep in mind that a lot of the liquidity contraction has been the result of the intervention in the forex market. Because if you're selling dollars to banks in order to keep the rupee from collapsing or depreciating further, you're buying back rupees. So you're reducing liquidity. So that has kind of, in a sense, passive helped the RBI indirectly in order to get liquidity down. But I don't think we were, are moving to a situation where we have a zero net liquidity balance or the system is net short in the sense that on average they are borrowing from the RBI. I think the RBI will try and retain a situation where banks remain on the, on the aggregate lenders to the system, which means that you have a liquidity surplus. And I'm putting a number to it about 2 to 3 lakh crores. The other thing which, uh, again, becomes very important in India is that not only do you have credit growth picking up, you have a government borrowing program that you need to kind of see through as a banker to the government. And I'm referring to the RBI here. And see through at reasonable rates. So if you just were to squeeze liquidity below the kind of levels that I talked about, your yields will go up and your cost of borrowing will go down. And that is not in the interest either of the government or the RBI. So there, while because of inflation concerns, some contraction of liquidity was warranted, I would tend to believe that at least for the next year or so, liquidity will be in the positive territory and they'll be just about adequate for banks to both fund credit as well as, you know, subscribe to the government bond issuances, which will keep coming through every week and every fortnight and so forth. With reduced liquidity and the supply of government bonds and the demand for credit, interest rates are bound to adjust upwards. They have already adjusted. So we should see a little more upside uh, or a little more increase in interest rates going forward for all categories of loans, including the, the rates on government borrowings. Excellent. Very insightful. Yeah, government borrowings are the elephant in the room. Obviously, we cannot uh, ignore that in terms of the quantum of funds that it probably want for its infra spending. Are all the uh, moves that 
the RBI has done. You know, they may look like drops in the ocean, but every drop counts. Like, for example, international trade settlements in rupees or easing norms for foreign currency, non-resident accounts, payment of bills by NRIs. So a lot of small steps, but even if they're just drops in the ocean, are you seeing any impact or aren't they even, uh, you know, making the impact that we would have expected them to uh, on each count? I wouldn't say it certainly made some impact, but I don't think it sort of reached any kind of a critical mass yet that, you know, we can draw comfort from as far as the external balances are concerned. There are some issues that bankers have highlighted to the RBI. For instance, if you go back to the uh, to the 2013 episode uh, where, you know, the, the famous taper tantrum and one of the fixes that the RBI came up with was to allow higher rates on NRI deposits, but simultaneously they subsidized forward premium so that it became cheaper or cheap for banks to bring in NRI deposits. So I think in certain areas, perhaps an additional step could make a fairly major difference and take it to this sort of take the impact to this critical mass level that I was talking about. I think the settlement issue will certainly help. We are yet to see the full impact of it, but rupee settlement is, especially for our trade with Russia, is 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 a very critical step because we will keep depending on Russia for a number of things from energy, defense, imports, and doing it this way makes things so much easier for banks. And do you think the RBI, the government, should be doing anything more? Any flanks that they seem to have left uncovered or do you think the going has been good so far? Well, as I said, this subsidization, so if you... Just let me sort of explain this for your audience. So the RBI has allowed banks to offer higher interest rates to NRI depositors. Now, these are these are dollar deposits. So if a bank gets it in, it has to hedge it, right? So it wants to ensure that the rupee doesn't depreciate so much. So when they have to pay back in terms of dollars, you know, the number of rupees that they have to use up in buying dollars from the market is huge. So they tend to hedge forward. So they buy forward dollars, which is available at a, at a premium. Now, if the premium is terribly high, then it, as you can understand, the, the, the cost, the consolidated cost of NRI deposits, including the cost of hedging against the risk of depreciation, becomes very, very high. Well, so one, I think, which, which I think is a major step, is to open a window, which we did in 2013, and have offer banks a subsidized premium from the RBI, from its dollar holdings and so forth. That would bring down the, the, the amalgamated cost of NRI deposits, and maybe that would sort of bring in a large flow. We could try some of sort of targeted NR bonds and so forth, if there might be some appetite for it. Unlike other situations in the past where you know, international interest rates were relatively low and any little you know, pickup in yields that India could offer would lead to sort of a gush of funds coming in 
that's no longer the case. And we are facing competition not just from the developed world, but also from other developing markets because, for instance, some of the Asian central banks have been very aggressive in raising rates, so their bonds are more attractive. So I think in terms of what can be done, I one solid measure, which I think has been discussed with the RBI, is there on the table for them to consider. And there can be a couple of other things, uh, the success and efficacy of which remains a little unclear. Got it. So to close our discussion, I'd like to come back to the um, uh, rate increase question. And, you know, it's a soft question, probably merits a qualitative answer. But the Monetary Policy Committee's uh, Mr. Jayant Verma uh, had uh, said, I think in June, that it would be ideal for RBI to provide projections of the future path of the policy rate. Do you think as an economist who looks at uh, macro indicators, you'd like to see that? You know, it also opens up a can of worms. And I think Dr. Verma is borrowing from the Fed's dot plot. I am not sure as an economist in India, you know, the Fed's dot plot, where it is just to sort of explain it for the audience, where all the, the voting members of the Fed's Monetary Policy Committee come up with their forecasts and you sort of put it on a very strange looking graph which has a lot of dots corresponding to different levels of macro variables that they're forecasting, particularly inflation. And so that's the kind of thing I think that Dr. Verma was referring to. It might just cause, and, and don't forget that these dot plots are changed every, every time the Fed meets their new dot plot. I, I'm not too sure. I've always been a, a little cautious and somewhat skeptical, I would say, about over-transparency, which can be confusing because if there are so many things to kind of... I don't think we are in a, in a situation where we can digest and consolidate all these diverse inputs in one shot. I think we do have a fair amount of transparency through the MPC minutes, etc., maybe we should hold off on these, you know, individual forecasts of the MPC members for a while till the monetary policy making process matures some more. Is there anything else you would have liked to have touched upon on this topic? No, I think that you've you know touched, you know, covered all bases as they say. Great, it was lovely having you with us today, Mr. Barua. Thank you so much for that. My pleasure. So lovely having talking to you, Bharat. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.